לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Shalom and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamud in Highland Park, New Jersey, the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shemin. And joining me are my good friends, Rabbi Barry J. Chesler, Solomon Shaker Day School, Long Island, in Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, New York City, Anshay Chesed. We are recording this for Kol Ramah, 102.3 FM. Our friends at Kol Ramah, Mitch Mernig, our producer, director, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening, for watching to watching our uh, YouTube and listening to our broadcast. We have an amazing Parsha. We are talking about Parshat Ekev. Ekev. This is the, the second Parsha of Consolation in the seven Parshiot uh, that that uh, are after Tisha B'Av. And we're going to go right into it. We're going to do a, a different thing this week. We're going to follow a, a kind of a little strategy. We've done it before. We did a little with, with uh, Miguel Adestair. Pick a verse, pick a verse. Or in Hebrew, it would be psok li pesukecha, right? And, and and if just before we get into our verses, let's just talk about this as a strategy. Psok li pesukecha, this is, we find this often in the Talmud when um, rabbis are, they want some kind of oracle. Do you, do you want to expand on that, uh, Jeremy, Barry, either of you? It's, it seems like, so, sometimes it seems like a... Uh... It's, it's like an exercise. You go into a schoolhouse, and the young children are reciting Bible. Like you're gonna in, in our world, uh, we probably don't have a ton of this, but you know, this is like the madrasas, right? They recite large amounts of Quran so that they can remember it. Uh, but, you know, the things you learn as a child stick with you for the rest of your life. You learn the Tanakh. Anyone who opens the Talmud is always incredibly impressed that they know verses from places that you've. Yeah, when's the last time you opened the book of Zephaniah? Well, they know it. Um, and so the, the they only know the daf it's on. They don't know where. It is. <laughs> uh-huh. So the, the 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 senior rabbinic figure goes to a child and says, tell me what your verse is." And then the child says the verse, and then the and then the rabbinic figure, you know, uh, makes a, makes some sort of exposition about it. But it, it has the it has the uh, uh, it's like it's the verse of the moment. It's got a kind of oracular function. If you go up to a child and say, "Tell me your verse," the child says the verse, and you make meaning out of that verse. It's a meaning that is like it was like for it was it was ordained for this moment that you were going to get that verse and you were going to get the message that it had directly for you. It, it's you know it's 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 like or Barry, you want to say something? Yeah, I would add a more prosaic explanation to Jeremy's poetry here, and that is that it gives a person ownership. That one of the things that we speak about with the Torah, everything ultimately connects back with the Torah. And I, I've been thinking a lot about the difference between Limu Torah, the study of Torah, and Parshat Shavua. Parshat Shavua is kind of like a friend that comes on a journey with you. And every week you're surprised at how relevant the Parsha is to what's going on in the world. That's right. And by picking a verse, establishing a verse, it gives us a sense that we're on the same page as Claudius Yisrael. 
You know, I and, just want to. Oh, and sorry. with God, that's all I want to add. I want to. I want to add just one thing, which is that for many people, there's a verse that accompanies them in their life, a pasuk lechayim. Uh, that that there's some verse, you know, that that really is, you know, part. It's like really engraved in their heart. Uvacharta lechayim, for example, choose life is a very very special verse, and and we have many many of those. Um, and also, you know, sometimes, and we 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 we've done this uh, ourselves when it, on Purim, where we just kind of you know randomly choose verses. We, we're not randomly choosing verses today, but um, the idea of randomly choosing something in Tanakh or randomly choosing something in in the um, in the Torah is actually a useful exercise. It's a useful exercise for for rabbis, and it's a useful exercise for for ordinary people too. I have to add something here. So the year I graduated from the seminary, I think was the second, maybe the third year that for the gift that we gave the school, we each, each of the graduating cantors and rabbis chose a pasuk or some other yeah. religious text and had it inscribed or that whatever it is. The wall hanging is beautiful. Um, and one of those students chose as his verse, one from this Parsha, the Achata Vesavata, and it was so striking that he left off Upe Rakta, which is, so uh, we need to be satisfied. Okay, we all agree, but the point of the pasuk in this week's parsha is that you have to thank God for that. All right, so then I'll leave off what I was going to say because that's my verse. That's the verse that I'm going to start off with. That and and I actually am going to talk about Overachta. The verse is, is is part of a whole uh, paragraph. I really, I let's just say it's the lowest hanging fruit in this parsha. But I'm bummed. What kind of fruit? Ki Adonai Elohecha Meviacha. Chapter 8, verse 7, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and springs and fountains issuing from plain and hill, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land where you may eat food without stint, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you can mine copper, when you have eaten your fill, give thanks to the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. So, of course, you, know, you, you didn't you didn't give all the the translate you didn't translate all the terms to the uh, species. Okay, uh, what did I miss? Uh, all, all of pomegranates, land of olive trees and uh, wheat, barley, vines, figs, pomegranates, olive and honey. Got it. The seven species, the seven species, two staples, three fruits, and olive oil and honey. Honey, we are saying is is fig honey or date honey, and these are luxurious sweetener items. Okay, but the the verse we focus on is Vachalta Vizavata Uverakta, which is familiar to us from Birkanamazon. We say it every time we eat. Kakatu Vachalta Vizavata Uverakta, and of course our listeners at Camp Ramah in the Berkshires and every Camp Ramah would know this verse. Uh, but they don't necessarily uh, think about it the way that we daven things. We we sometimes just recite them or sing them and don't think about them. And I think even rarer is the idea of putting it in context. So what I want to do is put it in context. Now, now Barry, when you said that the, that individual had the words v'achalta v'savata placed on that piece of artwork that was calligraphied, calligraphed, or you know, done nicely for as a gift. The reason why Avachalta Vesavata is there is because in most cases, in most cases where we have the word Vachalta, we have Vesavata, 
we never, never have Uberachta. So, for example, and I, I, I'm going to do a little bit of Exhibit A here, okay? This is for our, for our people viewing. I have a chart here of all nice the Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have it in chapter 6, verse 11. We have our our um, uh, verses, Vachalta Vesavata, and Uberachta is 8.10. Pen Tochal Vesavata, and it's also familiar to us from the Shema. I will give you the grass in your field for your animals, and you will be, uh, you will eat, and you will be satisfied. So, in each of these cases, where there's Vachalta Vesavata, there's also the possibility of forgetting, forgetting. But the one place where there's all there's just an antidote to forgetting is this this verse. So here's my theory, and I propose it to you. You know, we're so worried as people. You know, when we go into the land, and we're we're here with with Am Yisrael, just as they are entering the land, we're so worried about this the sense of I guess you can call it arrogance, the sense of satiation. That it's because of me, because of me. You might forget, you may be tempted to forget. And so the antidote, here's my little sermon, the antidote to forgetting is blessing, is gratitude. The attitude, I, I guess the antidote to almost anything that is corrosive to the spiritual life is gratitude. Discuss. I, I hail you. That was brilliant, and I appreciate also the the uh, homework. Homework. Yeah, that chart is great. That's from my my daily nine two nine nine two nine. I love that. God bless them. One parak a day, chapter a day. That's, that's great. It, it's it's about you know what are what are our religious practices? We have we have a religion of law. Okay, we have a religion of prescribed behaviors and norms. And is it just we like to tell people what to do and we like to, you know, keep the traditions? No, they are training, they're spiritual training. And you just illustrated that beautifully. So, so let me, let me, you know, so the question that the, you know, the Talmud goes into in one of the areas is what, what constitutes being satisfied? It's such a great question. You know, what, at what point is a person satisfied from hunger? At what point is a person satisfied, I guess, spiritually? At what point? Maybe, you know, you're the colleague who suggested Valhalta Vesavata to put an, uh, you know, on, on a piece of artwork. You know, I, I I understand what that means, you know, in, in metaphorical terms, right? You know, we we who are, who you know, we study, you know, that is the consumption, Vesavata. You know, it doesn't do it for me in terms of the spirituality of it, because I I... I honestly feel so unsatisfied every time I study because you realize how much you don't know and how much how many questions you have. It's 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 a highly unsatisfying inactivity, but it's satisfying at a different level. You you feel your your worthiness, but you 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 know like even when we when we study a you know a verse, there's so much we don't know. There's so many questions. It's highly unsatisfying. So so the spiritual state is gratitude for what we have. And desire for what we don't have. Yeah. So what I would suggest is that satisfaction is subjective. The thrust of Jewish law is to quantify everything so that we know where the borders are, when we've done something correctly, when we don't. When we, 
I don't know that we can actually measure satisfaction in a quantitative way. How much food do you actually need to eat to be satisfied? Well, it depends on what day it is, what meal it is, um, how you're feeling. And, you know, I think this statement is attributed to Rabbi Israel Salanter, maybe others as well, that the job of a rabbi is to afflict the comfort, the comfort, the comfort to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted because the great danger in religion is complacency i think what leads people away is not when things are going bad i think more people are apt to turn to religion when things are going bad but when things are going good we tend to think that we're responsible for our good fortune and find it more difficult to be grateful and therefore the sequence here is so important that after you're satisfied, you must bless. It's not a choice that you're given. You have to express gratitude. Otherwise, you've missed the point. I, I have two jokes for the matter. Uh, a little humor. Uh, actually, in practice, the way the verse is usually read is and then you ran away. <laughs> Nobody is at the bra. Well, that's camp. As, as, as Barry just said, um, you know, like there's there's a there's a joke about that, right? Like the guy's in a terrible situation. He says, God, if you get me out of this, I'll go to shul every day. And then, you know, what whatever the situation is, there's a terrible flood, and then a man comes by and picks him up. And he says this to the guy, Okay, never mind, I worked it out. <laughs> right. All right, let's, let's but the but the, uh, but the um I, I want to just the one of the serious things Barry said, which I always want to pick up on is when you think about this one in a halakhic sense. Uh, quantification versus, you know, uh, very significant subjectivity of each person. Uh, we have a, a basic norm of Judaism that you say the full Birkat Amazon when you've had bread. But back in the earlier rabbinic times, back in the second century, Rabbi Akiva uh, is quoted as, as saying, no, you say whatever, whatever your food is, even if you're eating boiled vegetables, which sounds good to me, but I guess that's considered, uh, you know, boiled beets is, is considered something not too good. Uh, in this story, he says, even if you just like boiled beets, if that's your food, you should say the bracha. And when I was on the on the law committee, they took up a question that I thought was quite interesting. You know, there's plenty of gluten-free people who never eat halachic bread. So what's what's the deal? If you don't eat bread, do you still say birkat amazon? And Pamela Barmash wrote what wrote what she wrote. She ended up not taking the what I wanted her to do was take the view of Rabbi Akiva that say that there is a much more uh, broadly subjective. When you eat and are satisfied, you should say this bracha, and the content of the food, the specific, whether it's bread or not, um, is is cool. less significant. Cool. All right, we're going over to the grouch. We have given each of our, 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 our each of our rabbis have acronyms. I'm the Rem, Rabbi Elliot Malamut, the Rem, and Hagaon Rabbi Chesler is the grouch. Perfect. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, Buckley so the, the verse that I chose two verses from uh, chapter 10. Vyatai Yisrael Ma'aronai Elohecha Shoel Meimach Kiem Liyirat Et Aronai Elohecha Lacha B'chad Racha V'la'avauto V'la'avod Et Aronai Elohecha B'chal V'avacha V'chal Nafshecha so now, Israel, what does God want from you? He wants you to fear the Lord, your God, to go in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him, 
and with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the commandments and laws which I command you this day. And the reason why this speaks to me is because we find a very similar statement in the prophet Micha, who was a younger contemporary of the what we now call first Isaiah, the 8th century Isaiah prophet, who says in a famous phrase, You know, human beings, what is good and what God wants from you. He wants you to do justice, to love grace, and to walk humbly with God. And the reason why this speaks to me is that most of us, most of the time, are occupied and preoccupied with the Torah, the five books of Moses. And we don't always pay enough attention to the other two third, the other two sections of the Tanakh, the section of prophets and the writings, and they all are interrelated. And it's always instructive to make those connections, to see how pieces of the Torah are picked up in the prophets and sometimes in Ketuvim as well. And sometimes it goes the other way also. And I think if we're looking for a distillation of Judaism, this is it. That you have to love God, love justice, and do what God wants you to do. So uh, let me let me jump here and react to this, which is which is um you know and and uh, beautiful. I love I love the the drasha and I love the verse as well. Um but but I'm 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 going to stay with the question. I'm going to stay with the question both in Deuteronomy and in Micha. Stop. What does God ask of you? Now Deuteronomy and Micha gives you gives they both give us answers. Um, but in you know for the individual, the person reading, uh, for I guess me maybe Ram, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I stop at the question because it's it, it's a question of identity. It's a question of who are you, what are you, what do you think, what do you believe, and and when you ask yourself the question, what does God want from you? Look, you know, God wanted me to be blank. God God didn't want me to be a hockey player. That's for sure. God, <laughs> God didn't want me to be an engineer like my father is a Kralivrecha. God didn't want me to be a musician, even though I love music. God God. God you know, wanted you to speak like God, Elliot. God, exactly, like God. If, if you know, no, I mean, and, and the question—it's questionable, you know. And and so, but of course, it's not perfect. You know, what's your profession? But it's how do you behave in the world? And and yeah, I guess we're all going to get to those things in Micha and get to here, you know, which is this is the the the, the beginning point of wisdom. But but I, you know, I'd like to stop with the question. You know, at the Friday night table, hold the glass of wine and think about it, discuss it, like, and ask, you know, if you were to come up with your own answer, what would be that? And, and I don't need to give that answer now, but but I, I love the question. Sure. Okay. What I would add is that this ties in with what you were saying earlier about the Verachta, is that the things that are given here as for what God wants are things that are difficult to quantify. Yeah, they are subjective, and that's where we often get tripped up, because how do we know when we've done anything correctly? Indeed. And you know, thinking of the mitzvah of tzedakah, yeah. so we have a positive commandment to give tzedakah to give charity. How do we know when we've done it properly? Yeah, 
Is it when we, you know, send an eighteen dollar check to some organization? Do we have to do it regularly? It's hard to know. And on one hand, we want to know because we want that feeling of accomplishment. And on the other hand, as I've come to appreciate as I get older, there's a great deal of uncertainty and doubt about our lives, and a lot of it's going to be unresolved. Indeed. Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, a, a reaction or code your straight, straight to your verse? We can, go, we can go to my verse. I think you guys... Oh, okay, so the, the, the Emmet Lyakov. Okay. So I'm in the same chapter, in the same passage as Barry, a little bit further down. Umaltemet orlat levavchem ve'arpechem lo od. You should circumcise the foreskin of your heart and your neck. You shall you shall not stiffen your necks anymore. Ki Adonai Eloheichem hu Eloheha Elohim ba'Adoneha Adonim. For the Lord God is God of all gods and Master of all masters. The one who is great and powerful and terrifying. Who will not respect, uh, you know, show no favor to respectable people and nor take a bribe. Well, obviously in the second part of that verse, we have one of the core phrases in our liturgy, in our Amidah, and it's repeated you know, it's repeated in other cases. For example, the end of Suke de Zimra, that, that there you have, there you have the same quotation and a little bit of an exposition that goes. But I'm going to turn to the first part of the verse. Uh, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Obviously, Judaism uh, has a strong tradition about circumcising male babies, uh, taking away the foreskin from the penis. And it's somehow, whatever it signified to ancient people, uh, it is a mark of membership in the Jewish people on the human male body. But it, here it's given a metaphorical, uh, metaphorical removing something covering. Uh, that That's in a physical act, you remove some sort of covering and you make some sort of exposing, uh, perhaps some sort of opening or vulnerability. And here in Deuteronomy, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu gives it a meta gives a metaphorical application that there is some covering, some something that is hiding the heart. You have to remove it so that you can be open, so that you can be uh, uh, vulnerable and in the moment and and obedient uh, and in connection. So there's a lot that I like about this verse. Um, one of the main things is that it, it speaks to me the way religion, like I said before, you know, there's a lot in Judaism that is about controlling the way people behave and controlling the the the, the way society functions in an ethical way. And it's not just about telling more people what to do, though. It's ultimately about building a different heart, opening up your heart in a way that makes it appropriate, uh, you know, makes you appropriate to be able to, um, to, uh, um, you know, be with God. And uh, it calls to mind, uh, as Barry said, you know, the, the Bible is an echo chamber. It alludes to other verses. The prophet Ezekiel says, you know, ultimately I'm going to cleanse you from all the bad things that you do. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I'm going to take away your stony heart. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, of softness. What I want out of religion, in addition to social behavior, in addition to ethical behavior, in addition to a wisdom, 
is an open heart. Um, you know, my own tefillah every day, at the little paragraph at the end of the Amidah, petach libi b'toratecha, open up my heart with your Torah, not to your Torah, with your Torah. Like the Torah is the key, opens up the heart, leaves me a different person. I would add furthermore that our sister religion, and maybe our stepsister religion, uh, there was there was an ancient Pharisee known as Rabbi Shaul Ish Tarshish, all of Tarsus, who this verse was super important to him in the in in the Christian book of Romans. He says the real Jew, they, they, Paul there is being very nasty to Am Yisrael. Um, says, no, oh, you Jews, you Jews, you you keep the letter of the law and circumcise your body. The true Jew, meaning the Christian, is one who gets to the spirit of the law, doesn't worry so much about the letter of the law of the body, instead circumcises the heart and has an open heart to what he thinks is the new spiritual truth. Of course, I don't follow him in that, but I, I kind of do like the emphasis that Paul shares, draws from Deuteronomy and shares and affirms that um, that an open heart, a vulnerable heart, uh, that's the key. You can't have religion without that. Interesting. I want to. I have two reactions to to what to the verse and to what you said. You know, one of them is actually an, an, an anatomical reaction, which is that there there is something called the pericardium, the the sac in which the heart is. Uh, and and uh, some mammals have that. I, I'm guessing that that most animals have, it. and of course humans have it. The extent to which. Uh, you know, uh, the the biblical world uh, was cognizant of, you know, human anatomy is is uh, is is a question. I, you know, I suppose through accident and other kinds of circumstances like murder or war, they may have seen uh, cadavers. Well, how about just shifting animals? How about uh... animals? But you know, there, there there many there may have been plenty of human uh, bodies that they have seen the insides of. And it's certainly, you know, it, it, it's not a leap of the imagination to to consider that uh, many people in antiquity may have known, you know, the insides of a, of a human body. Notwithstanding that, you know, I, I come to this with a, a certain kind of proximity because of Kim and the heart transplant. You know, the, the, the heart that was removed was replaced by a heart without a pericardium. Okay, when you transplant a heart, you you it doesn't come with a sac it and the sac has a fluid around it that is that serves as a protection so in a way it's an un, unveiled heart which which is is totally mind-blowing to think about that that in actual anatomical terms there is there is a, a membrane of the heart um and that, so not to get into kim's medical condition but how do they build an artificial sac they don't no it's it, it's in in the heart cavity without without a pericardium Okay, so so in a sense, you know it it and and you could have a, a heart that way. You know, many people have what's called pericarditis, which is inflammation of the the heart sac, and and I suppose you know that there are certain kinds of remediations for them, probably including removal of that. But we don't want to we don't want to give any. But we are not responsible here for any <laughs> medical advice. <laughs> the, the metaphor we're we're, we're the metaphor. metaphor not medical we're the poetry world okay and the poetry world is there should be no barrier no and 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 this is the, you know you know uh on my mind is the last week's nachamu and you know the kiru alev to speak to it's not to the heart on it's on alev 
alev, to to speak on to the heart, and meaning that there should be no impediments, no barriers, no kind of no mechitza, no 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 distance, you know, and and we come to to each other really, as you said now and and here with an open heart, with an open heart, and there's just it's such a rich, beautiful metaphor that uh, you know, in addition to the you know what what you what you sip wine on and think about, you know that's that's one to think about too, Barry, when you react to it. So I also was struck by the physical image here. So you're supposed to circumcise your heart and no longer be stiff-necked. And so what we're being told to do is essentially to turn around. This is an act of tshuva, of turning. And this is, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, the second week of consolation, which leads up to our tshuva, our turning or returning to God at the turn of the year. And the way tshuva begins is by turning around to recognize that we're not on the correct path and we have to get back on the correct path. And therefore, you circumcise your heart in order to turn around so that you could put your neck back where it belongs and no longer be stiff-necked. Can we, can we just conclude um, you know, this talk with, with one of the broad themes in this Parsha and possibly Deuteronomy as well? And of course, you know, it it drives home, you know, the current the current state of crisis that that we are in as a Jewish people, and of course in Israel, which is, you know, the conditionality of the land, the conditionality of living in the land. It's it's um, you stop on on these verses, uh, and and there are plenty to choose from, you know, even in the second paragraph of the Shema and others that tell us that you know. If you do the if you do the commandments, if you follow the commandments, you'll you'll have a perfect, a beautiful, blessed life. But if you don't, you won't. Or or extrapolate from that if you conduct yourselves in a manner which is you know ex- expressed in the verse Jeremy that you chose here, which is Osemishpatyatom ve almana ohevger, or upholds the cause of the fatherless and the widow, being befriends the stranger, provide food and clothing, etc. You know, in other words. The, the the ethics of humanity in the broadest sense um and truth and justice and telling the truth and and conducting the affairs of state and the affairs of life with fairness um and, yeah, and that sense of conditionality is 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 very powerful we're 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 connected to the land in a very fragile way i think i, I would say that um you know the phrase that i like to use uh, about this and and you know we've all we've got all got our views about politics and in, in the various countries we live in in the united states and in canada probably and and certainly in israel we have our views and i don't think that there's one thing you know, one political stance that is, you know, the good and right religious stance. But I certainly think there are good and right religious values. Yeah. Uh, and and I would, what the phrase that I like to say is that I always want the state of Israel to be worthy of Jewish history and Jewish religion. Uh, it's got to be worthy of the Jewish people. And and they, uh, the, the anxiety that we feel when we're worried about Israel is when people feel that we all know that the, People of the state of Israel are, you know, have, have been through a lot. They have very difficult national conflict, very difficult neighbors. They have 
they have experienced all kinds of violence. And so I don't want to, to sweep that away, but those of us who can sometimes feel alienated by the ultranationalist and, and sometimes militaristic stance of the state of Israel, I, what I feel I'm saying is, you know, the points that you just made, the society that we're trying to build, which is tender, which is fair, which cares for the weak, which recognizes the equality of all people, sometimes gets gets ignored in the like, keeping the Jewish people together, defending the Jewish bodies, defending Jewish life. Those are great things. And the other thing is the 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 ethical components, the spiritual components, the care for the vulnerable, the loyalty to to ethical ideals. The, the, those are the conditions under which those things can happen. And those are articulated in the state in the Declaration of Independence, as, as absolutely you many times. Absolutely, I don't know if people saw this. There, there was a Likud activist who who was who was confronting the anti-government protesters. Is like a, a significantly uh, prominent Likud activist. There's lots of material of him standing with with Netanyahu, and he said the most vile things. Including like I hate the Ashkenazim. I'm glad six million of you were killed. I mean, like just the most ridiculous things. Um, and Netanyahu showed him the door. Um, the fact that you know something like that goes on. That I, now I love the fact that the Torah says, by the way, you can only keep this land if you attain a kind of yeah, like, God forbid, God forbid, of course. And 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 that's you know the the tremor that we're we are experiencing now is you know is precisely at that identity you know ideal uh foundation you know uh and and you know this is what's on display in these in these demonstrations here the 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 future of the state it's it's liberal foundation it's it's idea uh as a jewish democratic and liberal state you know that that's so what, what i just like to add is a perhaps a literary trope here is that the conditionality of the land is best expressed in the Torah, which is the the wandering the the history of our people, so to speak, before they enter the land. So it's easy, in the sense, to say you're going into the land. You have to make a choice. You can do what I God want and keep the land, or you can do something else. And one would think everyone listening to Moses give the speech would say, "Of course, we're going to do what God wants." But then you get to the Book of Joshua and follow through Samuel. Uh, Judges Samuel and Kings, and you realize that the people had for their entire history during the first temple period, great deal of difficulty following God's law, that the conditionality of the land was not apparent to them until the very end when they lost it. Lost it. And perhaps it teaches us something important that when we're in the land, we have to be even more diligent and more vigilant about our connection to the land and what gives us right and rights in the land. Because if we think that this is our land because we're here, I think we've missed the point of the entire tonight. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, we, we were saying this mindful of the irony that the three of us are obviously not in the land. We are speaking outside. So we, we, we come at this from the distance, both geographically and of course, emotionally, not, not being in, in, in touch with the, the, the daily reality, notwithstanding the fact that, that we have people in our lives there. Nevertheless, we have people in our lives everywhere, including the people that are watching us and listening to us. We are really, really thankful. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We look forward to talking with you again on the next edition of Parsha. Talk in the meantime, have a beautiful Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.